Today on the Matt Walsh Show, we're going to discuss the horrific murder of a young mother in Chicago. The crime was caught on tape. The footage is perhaps the worst thing you'll ever see, yet the case was ignored by BLM and Antifa, as usual. Also, five headlines, including the claim from an ACLU lawyer that J.K. Rowling is contributing to, quote, genocide by defending biological reality. And Joe Biden is the subject of today's daily cancellation. Uh, I think this is, I don't know, his third or fourth time, but we'll keep canceling him as much as we need to. All of that on the way. Okay, we begin here. You know, you, you probably haven't heard the name Brittany Hill. And if you have, you certainly haven't heard it as often or as loudly or accompanied with as much performative grief as a name like George Floyd or Michael Brown. But the video of her death at the hands of Chicago gang members, a video which came to my attention this weekend, though it's been online for over a year, is impossible to get out of your head once you've seen it. Um, the footage captured by a police surveillance camera, I'll just des- describe it to you. It shows Hill uh, standing near her car talking to two men. She's holding her one-year-old daughter in her arms. When the car with her killers rolls up slowly, Hill's daughter actually innocently smiles and waves to the men inside, of course, not knowing what's about to happen. Moments later, they open fire. Uh, the two men standing with Hill take off in opposite directions. The men in the car stop, get out, continue shooting. Hill at some point is struck in the abdomen. She takes cover behind a parked vehicle and lays on top of her daughter, shielding her daughter from the gunfire. The killers drive away. 20 seconds later, one of the men who had been standing with Hill runs back into the frame, apparently holding a firearm, gets into his car and drives away with Hill still lying, bleeding on the pavement. 20 seconds after that, the other man returns with someone else, and the two place Hill in the backseat of uh, their car, presumably to bring her to the hospital. And the one-year-old girl stands up, watches as her mother is carried off. Um, an older man then comes and picks up the child and takes her away. Now, I had originally planned to play the video uh, of this crime on the show, but I've decided not to do that. You can go to my Twitter and watch it if you want to. I don't want to force you to watch it. I'm not going to just put it into the middle of this show. And uh, and it, it just, it's seared into my brain now and probably not for the better. Um, I don't want to do that to you. But if you want to see it, you can. Now, the alleged perpetrators of this, as the judge correctly called it, chilling, mind-boggling, and utterly senseless crime, were arrested and charged with first-degree murder a short time later. Um, police say the shooting was probably some kind of gang retaliation, though they, they don't believe that Hill was the intended target. Uh, maybe it was the men standing with, with Hill, I guess we can assume. This all happened over a year ago. Now, when it happened, it made some waves locally in the immediate aftermath, but it was quickly forgotten, even on the local level, it seems. Most people across the country never heard of it even after the dramatic and gut-wrenching footage leaked to the public. It leaked to the public a year ago. There were no mass protests. There were no memorial services attended by politicians from across the country. No public officials weeping uncontrollably over her casket, as the mayor of Minneapolis did for George Floyd. And her casket, speaking of which, we can assume was not plated in gold like George Floyd's was, nor is her face like George Floyd's featured on murals all over the nation. No major corporations expressed their sorrow over her death. The Democratic Party didn't kneel in silence to honor her. Nobody rioted. Nobody looted. Black Lives Matter didn't organize any demonstrations on her behalf. No liberal activists or politicians told us to, quote, remember her name. No laws were passed in response to her death. 
No calls for reform. No famous athlete said anything about her. Colin Kaepernick didn't say anything. Nothing. She just died and that was it. Another statistic, another tally to add to the body count. And as far as the body count goes, Hill's death uh, last year followed a Memorial Day weekend in Chicago that saw 38 shootings and five deaths over the weekend. She was one of 490 murders in the city that year. There have been over 420 homicides already in 2020 in Chicago, a year that has seen the most violent day in Chicago in over half a century. 18 homicides on one Sunday in May. But none of these murders or any of the hundreds of other murders that happen in our cities every year provoke outrage or garner attention even remotely on par with the killings of George Floyd, Michael Brown, Freddie Gray, etc. Now, the point I'm making here has, of course, been made many times by many people, and for good reason. It's an important point. But those who seek to justify this disparity in coverage and outrage and attention have a number of responses at the ready. So I want to address the two most common rejoinders to this argument that I'm making right now, the point that I'm making. Number one, they'll say, well, in cases like Brittany Hill, the murderers are, are arrested and brought to justice, so there's no need to protest. It's true that in the specific case of Brittany Hill, the murderers were arrested and charged, thanks in large part to the fact that they happened to commit their crime in full view of a surveillance camera. But a great many murders in Chicago and elsewhere go unsolved and unprosecuted every year. Besides, George Floyd's killer was also arrested and brought to justice. Um, that, you may have noticed, has done nothing whatsoever to quell the protests. The killing of, jo of Michael Brown was investigated on both the local and federal level, and both investigations, to include the investigation conducted by Obama's DOJ, uh, cleared the officer of wrongdoing, citing, among other things, eyewitness testimony and forensic evidence proving that Michael Brown was shot while in the process of attacking the officer and trying to kill him, trying to disarm him. This was proven. But this also did nothing to satiate the protesters. Still to this day, they repeat the thoroughly and repeatedly debunked lie that Brown had his hands up and was pleading for his life. You hear this even from the protesters, uh, the George Floyd protest. They, they still repeat this hands up, don't shoot thing. The actual outcome of these cases seems to matter very little or not at all to the protesters. So that excuse doesn't work. The second excuse you hear is, uh, well, the, the protesters are speaking out against injustice in government. They're, they're, they're seeking certain legal and policy changes. And citizen-on-citizen citizen murder is not a matter of governmental injustice, and there's no need to call for changes to law or policy in response to it, as the argument goes. Now, as covered above, the problem with this response is that the protesters are often upset about things that do not amount to governmental injustice. Michael Brown was not a matter of governmental injustice. The vast majority of police shootings are not unjust. Even the majority of police shootings of unarmed suspects are not unjust, as I have previously showed. We talked about it on the show last week. But even if this is about injustice or perceived injustice, that would be all the more reason to take, the, to take to the street for the sake of the Brittany Hills of the world. These crime-plagued cities have been brought to their knees by decades of ineffectual and unjust democratic policy. The, the, the epidemic of violent crime in places like Chicago is most certainly the result, at least in part, of bad laws and bad leaders who, for a start, have facilitated the collapse of the nuclear family by cynically breeding dependence on welfare and other nanny state programs. Um, also, many of the killers who terrorize these communities have already been convicted of multiple violent felonies, and yet they're still on the street. They are filtered again and again through the court system and prison system and then back into the community until they finally do something so incomprehensibly heinous 
that there's no choice but to send them away for good. This was a case we talked about last week. Three friends in Florida were executed in cold blood by a man who, who had over 200 felonies, 15 convictions, and two stints in state prison already under his belt. This was a man who long ago announced that he is uninterested in becoming and being a productive member of civilized society. He, 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 but he had to write that message in the blood of three dead men for the courts to finally take him at his word. Injustice? Yes, there is quite a lot of injustice fueling the chaos and bloodshed in our streets. The excuses don't hold up. You know, a movement that, that was really concerned with the unjust killing of innocent lives would be eager to stand up for Brittany Hill, to speak up on her behalf, to say her name. And certainly a movement that claims to defend the dignity and value of human life would have quite a lot to say about Brittany Hill and the many hundreds of victims like her each year. Because for all the grief I give BLM, the fact is that life matters is a message that our culture desperately needs to hear. I agree with that. It's a message that, if it was listened to and heeded, would save many lives, would probably have saved Brittany Hill's life. It's just a shame that the movement which claims to defend life, black life specifically, seems in practice to care very little for it. And that's the issue. It's, it's, it's very clear that in many of these communities, you have people like the killers of Brittany Hill. They weren't even, they, as I said, they weren't even targeting her. They were going after someone else. The fact that she was standing there and was holding her, her child meant nothing to them. They didn't care. Her, to them, her life literally meant nothing. There's almost something... There's, it's in a way, it's almost more chilling that she wasn't being targeted because, because of the indifference in it. Okay, a crime motivated by hatred, someone going to kill someone, uh, you know, a, a, a jilted lover or something killing someone. So it's a, it's a horrible thing, terrible. But you kind of, that's something that you can comprehend. You can contextualize that. Okay, someone killing out of hate and anger and jealousy. All right, people have, all, people have been doing that since time immemorial. But when you find these kinds of killings, like you do so often, especially in the cities and these communities, crimes of just indifference. Now, I don't, I don't hate you, nothing against you. I just, your, your life just means nothing to me. I don't care. The life of your child that you're holding means nothing to me. I feel like killing these other two guys for some pointless beef and you're in the way, so I'm just going to shoot you too. Whatever. You know, though that, that crime is motivated by a total indifference to human life. So life matters. Yes, it, black life matters. All life matters. That is an important message. Those killers, tell them that. That's where the message needs to be. But these are exactly the cases that BLM, Antifa, the left ignores. All right, we're going to move on to five headlines. Quick tip here, folks. If I'm ever in possession of some kind of important information and uh, you need to torture me to get it out of me, which I'd prefer if you didn't, but if you needed to, here's how to do it. 
This is the torture method that would cause me to crack and tell you everything I know within like five minutes. Tops. Okay, right here. The Daily Wire reports, on August 1st, HBO Sports will air Seeing America with Megan Rapinoe, a conversation featuring Rapinoe, the U.S. women's national soccer team captain, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, 1619 Project creator Nicole Hannah-Jones, and Comedia Hassan Minaj. This is, this is my hell. This is literally my hell. Dear God. Horrifying. Better not to dwell on it. Let's move on to number two. Warner Brothers Media, this is also from the Daily Wire, is investigating the Ellen DeGeneres show amid accusations of workplace abuse. According to Variety, executives from Telepictures, which produces Ellen's show and distributor Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers Television, sent a memo to staffers last week announcing Warner Media's Employees Relations Division and a third-party firm will be interviewing current and former staffers about their experience working on the show. As the Daily Wire reported earlier this month, BuzzFeed interviewed several former employees of the show who claimed they experienced a toxic work environment counter to Ellen's image as a kind-hearted person. So um, so there's been stories for years about Ellen DeGeneres being basically a terrible person who treats her subordinates like garbage. Uh, I've known this for a long time, and uh, I'm not in the know at all, and I, I don't follow celebrity, celebrity gossip very closely, but even I had heard this. So... If I heard about this, it's hard to believe that Warner Media is just now finding out. They aren't, of course. It's just that everyone else is finding out. It's it's officially becoming common knowledge, and that means that they have to pretend to do something. They have to pretend to care. If you haven't read the accusations against Ellen, uh, you can find them anywhere online. It's just what I said. I mean, she treats, allegedly, the people around her like utter crap all the time and is a diva on steroids as the accusation goes. Um, some people find this, this surprising about Ellen. And I, I can't really see why you'd be surprised. Is it because her brand on television is that of a fr- friendly, lovable person? Is it because she brings people on the show to perform acts of charity for them in front of a live studio audience? You know, she brings a whatever, a kid is goes viral with some cute video, and then she brings the kid on and interviews them and then gives them a bunch of toys, you know, in front of everybody. Um, is that, I mean, did, did anyone really think that that, that that reflects her character, that proves that she's a, oh, you, yes, you'll perf- performing charity in front of an audience that that's clapping for you. I mean, you're literally getting a standing ovation live on the set as you perform an act of charity. It's 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 nice. It's good for the person who's receiving the charity. I feel good for the kid that gets all the toys and all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't tell me anything about you at all. Um, none of that even remotely tells us about your character. Just because someone's nice on TV, TV with cameras rolling doesn't mean that they're a good person once the light switches off. Obviously, really, if you if you want to find one indicator, one thing that tells you everything you need to know about a person's character. It's, it's obviously not how they act when the camera's on. It's also not how they treat their friends or anything like that. Everybody's nice to their friends. That's the whole point. That's why they're your friends. It's how they treat people who they can get away with abusing. So Ellen can't get away with heaping abuse on people on TV. Nor can she really do it to her fellow celebrities, people who are on her level. But she can and did apparently direct this abuse to people beneath her, you know, interns, staff, etc. Um, and everyone, no matter who you are, what position you have, there are people below you on the totem pole, at least in some situations. I mean, all of us, no matter how 
powerless we are usually. Like there are situations throughout the day that we're in where we have some kind of power over another person. And if you are an a-hole in those situations, even if it only happens briefly, right? If you're an a-hole in those situations, then you're just a terrible person. If you take advantage of those power dynamics to be the a-hole you can be, you're, you're an awful person down the board, and we know that about you. Because it doesn't matter how you act towards your friends or how generous or nice you are to them. All that matters, as far as assessing someone's character, all that matters is how they act towards the people they can get away with treating poorly. That's all that matters. And I was actually thinking about this when I was um, at the DMV last week. Because, you know, at DMV is a perfect example of this. You're at the DMV. Uh, is, is someone, you know, there's the woman sitting in the booth, booth, uh, the booth. <laughs> sure. There's the woman sitting in the booth across from you and you're doing whatever, changing registrations, getting a license, whatever it is. She has enormous power over you in, in that situation. Now, as soon as you leave, she doesn't really, but when you're sitting there, she's got a, she has you in her grasp. Um, and if she wants to make your life miserable, she can do it. And the reason people hate the DMV is that some DMV employees enjoy taking advantage of that power dynamic, of that momentary grasp they have on you, and do and they do exactly that. They just make your life miserable for no apparent reason. But I was thinking about this because the woman that I was dealing with at the, at the DMV last week was the opposite. She was super friendly and kind and was, uh, uh, was trying to help me so that the DMV process was as painless as possible, you know. And uh, I thought to myself, wow, this is a very good person. I, I, I'm interacting with her for a few minutes. I don't know anything about her. Don't even know her name. I, I could tell you this is a good person, 100%, just because of, of this right here. She doesn't have to be this nice, but she is. So um, that's how you can assess people's character. And that's why, in conclusion, Ellen DeGeneres is terrible. Number three, Nick Sandman, the uh, Covington Catholic student who was slandered all over the media, reached a settlement in his defamation suit against the Washington Post this week. This after reaching a settlement with CNN a few months ago. But CNN is not done defaming him, it seems. Brian Stelter, CNN anchor, retweeted a tweet from a lawyer named Mark Zaid. And the, the tweet said, um, those with le zero legal experience, as far as I can tell, should not be conjecturing on lawsuits they know nothing about. What kind of journalism is that? I've litigated defamation suits, uh, defamation cases. Sandman was undoubtedly paid nuisance value settlement and nothing more. Well, so Stelter didn't say that, but he did retweet it. And Sandman's lawyer, Lynn Wood, says that this could easily breach CNN's confidentiality agreement because they aren't allowed to discuss the terms of the settlement. Yet here is Stelter. Maybe, I guess he would argue not discussing it, but but uh, amplifying someone who is, and discussing it through a proxy, in effect, and Wood indicates that the, that it's he's lying anyway, uh, that the claim isn't true. So they're just, you can only imagine how angry these the people at Washington Post and CNN are, um, and how much they hate this kid. How much they absolutely hate him. They are they are overcome with hate because they're not used to this. See, this isn't how it's supposed to go. They slander and defame people all the time, 
especially speaking of power dynamics, especially focusing on people who don't have any power to fight back. And they thought that's what they were doing here. You know, they consider it from, from, from their perspective. You know, you almost feel sorry for them. Well, not really, but they've been doing this for so long, just defaming people, it doesn't matter, painting people as racist, just, you know, just destroying people's life casually like it's nothing. And, um, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they figure, okay, well, you know, here we've got a case, just a bunch of high school kids, white high school kids. We could do this to them. Well, well, you know, no big deal. We'll destroy their lives, get some clicks out of it, uh, virtue signal a little bit. Their lives are destroyed. We move on. This is the process. This is what we do. And then Nick Sandman comes out of nowhere and actually fights back and wins. These, these poor people at CNN and Washington Post, they're really the victims here. They're the victims because they weren't able to victimize someone else, or at least they victimized someone else, and, uh, and then they got, they got hit back in the nose. Number four, an ACLU lawyer named Chase Strangio has uh, accused J.K. Rowling of contributing to genocide by arguing that, uh, because you know J.K. Rowling has argued that biological sex exists. That, that, that's really her, her entire argument. Um, she's not even, despite what we hear now, she, she, she is far from a, a conservative on gender issues or on any issue at all. The only thing she has said on, when it comes to transgenderism that the left doesn't like is just that biological sex exists. But that's, of course, enough to make her um, not just evil, but genocidal. So Chase Strangio has said that uh, she is contributing to genocide. Let me read, let me read this diatribe from uh, Strangio. This is what it says. Okay. This is part of it anyway. It would be nice to ignore the Harry Potter person, but the rhetoric being used on her massive platform is feeding a genocidal impulse that already exists in government and within individuals. She is dangerous. Situating the trans subject and the trans body in the contested discursive space the way she does pulls the conversation around transness into the posture of working to locate the legitimate trans subject. Did you get that? Okay. Uh, the, the idea being that we must defend against the allegation that too many trans people in the world reflects a problem. That is, after all, her point. And in so doing, we see the conversation to cis people and institutions. And perhaps most insidiously, in so doing, we give the false impression that sexed bodies are things only trans people have. By obscuring the larger structural impulses behind bodily policing and the violence of the sex binary, we ensure the the continuation of these structures. Okay, now, first of all, there is no genocide of trans people happening. That should go without saying. This person is making that up. Uh, I mean... Unless you count the treatment of LGBT people in, in Muslim countries, if that's what we're talking about, then all right, maybe you've got a case. But something tells me that old Strangio here is not intending for this to be uniquely a criticism of Muslim societies or a criticism of Muslim societies at all. Something tells me, in fact, that as far as this person is concerned, we would just, when talking about the plight of LGBT people in the world, we would just skip over uh, Muslim countries entirely and focus completely on what's happening in the West. But in any case, genocide or not, defending biology does not amount to genocide or contribute to it or feed it. Okay. But really, I want you to focus on the ridiculous lengths this person is going to make the anti-science position seem intelligent and scholarly. 
Situating the trans subject and the trans body in the contested discursive space the way she does pulls the conversation around transness into posturing, into the posture of working to locate the legitimate trans subject. That sentence uses about 30 words and loads of jargon to communicate something that could be conveyed simply in about 10 words. And, 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 and don't be fooled by this, okay? This is the mark of an, un, of an unintelligent person who wants to seem intelligent. Truly intelligent people who have legitimate points to make, make them in ways that are clear and easy to understand. That's what a, a really intelligent person, a really intelligent person can understand jargony concepts, okay? Um, that, that's one level of intelligence is to understand what's being said. The next level Real intelligence is being able to convey and communicate it stripped of the jargon in a straightforward, simple way. If you can't do that, then it tells me you're not really that smart, or it tells me you're a pompous ass who, is, who, who maybe could be more clear, but you're being unclear intentionally to show off your intelligence. So either way, um, either way, it's, it's, you know, in this case, it's kind of a defense mechanism uh, because, okay, and it works. Right? I have to have to hand it to them in a way. It works because they use a lot of academic jargon, when, especially when it comes to the to gender ideology on the left, all in service of the claim that men can have babies, essentially. Like, all of this, everything you just heard, is in service to the claim that a man can get pregnant. Which is, to call that a dumb position would be an insult to stupidity. This, this is a delusional, insane position. But they trick some people into thinking that their position is smart and sciencey just by putting in a lot of scholarly jargon and all of that. Uh, number five, finally, here's the San Francisco Weekly. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna give you their the caption. Um, it says, surfing, surfing, despite its roots in indigenous Pacific Islander history has been seen as a sport for straight white men for far too long. Okay, so now surfing is racist too. Just, just wanted to update you on that. Surfing is racist. Um, and I just want to say about that, to be clear, okay, I agree, and I think we need to repeal the laws prohibiting non-white people from buying surfboards and going to the ocean. I... I didn't know that law existed. If it does, I say it's it's 2020. Let's get rid of it. I will take that stand right now. So thank you to the San Francisco Weekly. We are we are together in this movement. Um, and that's your five headlines. We're going to get to our daily cancellation in just a second. But before we do, you know, if you haven't got your reader's pass yet, I mean, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your time? Uh, why, uh, why do you hate us and me specifically? I take it as a personal offense to me. But really, you're only hurting yourself. You only have, this, this hurts you more than it hurts me, okay? 99 cents is all it takes for the first year. $3 a month uh, is, 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 the, is the price going forward. If you get a reader's pass, uh, and, and the thing with the reader's pass is that you're getting the real story, stripped of all the leftist spin and everything, and you can get exclusive op-eds from us, your podcast hosts. You can get uh, uh, great analysis from our guest writers, in-depth analysis from our Daily Wire reporters, so we're all fantastic. The membership tier is already a bargain at $3 a month, but like I said, you get your first month for $0.99. Cents. You also get access to our mobile app. You receive push notifications for breaking news and special content, as well as you can join the community of Daily Wire members who are actively commenting and discussing our content with each other 
Um, that is mobile ad-free access to all of the Daily Wire news, exclusive op-eds, and all of our podcasts on our mobile app for the low price of $1. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and join today. Now for our daily cancellation. We're going to be canceling Joe Biden, and this is not his first cancellation, of course. Won't be his last. The fact that I have to cancel some people so many times may lead you to believe that my cancellations are rather ineffective and uh, even pointless, you might say. But if you think that, then you are also canceled. Stop picking on me, you bully. Um, anyway, so Joe Biden is canceled for something that he he tweeted yesterday. Uh, th- th- this is his tweet. It says, the hard truth is women, and particularly women of color, have never had a fair shot to get ahead in this country. That's why today I'm releasing my plan to make sure women can fully participate in our economy and country. And then he, and then he has his link to his plan, his very important plan for women. Now, I like how, there are a couple things here. I like how the phrase, the hard truth, has has become a euphemism for lie. You hear this a lot from politicians. The hard truth is this. And then what follows invariably is a steaming load of horse manure. No, lies are not hard truths. They might be be hard to disguise as the truth, if that's what you mean. I'm working very hard to make you believe this is the truth. Maybe that's the meaning, in which case, okay, but that's not a hard truth. The other thing uh, that, that, that you take from the statement of Joe Biden's is just how broad and lazy the victim culture has become in our country. Women don't get a fair shot to get ahead in this country. What? Women? Are we talking about the same people here? Women? I mean, you never know these days. I, the left, they don't even know what a woman is, so you never know. But women actually have a very fair shot to get ahead. Too fair, if anything. Women are ahead already in, most, in, in almost every meaningful metric. Men are less likely to have college degrees, more likely to drop out of high school, more likely to be suspended or expelled, more likely to be homeless, more likely to be drug addicts, more likely to be homicide victims, more likely to commit suicide, more likely to get injured on the job, more likely to go to prison. In fact, women get lighter sentences for the same crimes in federal court. Um, So that means the court system favors women, the education system favors women, due to affirmative action and other factors, employers favor women. Women have all the rights men have, and some rights men don't have. Women, for example, here's a big one, have sole say over whether to kill their child in the womb or not. They are judge, jury, and executioner over human life legally. Women not only have the chance to get ahead, but are ahead, and thanks in large part to the fact that every system favors them, and often drastically so. And this is one of the reasons why the feminist movement has become so insane and fractured and weird in this country. There's just no use for it. They have nothing to do. Modern America is already everything a feminist could want, and then some. Except that feminists want women to be persecuted, and they're not that. And that's what really upsets them. That is the one thing, that is the one additional thing they want. They want everything. They want all the advantages and privileges that they have, but they also want to be persecuted on top of it. Because persecution, being able to claim persecution in victimhood, is the ultimate privilege. And uh, so that is the last thing that they are clamoring for, and uh, they can't get it. It, it, This is the irony here. They clamored for every privilege known to man, uh, or in this case, known to to woman, and got it. And because of that, they can't get the final thing, which is the victimhood they so desperately crave. So uh, yes, women are ahead, can get ahead. I I think Joe Biden knows that. I mean, at this point, who knows what he knows and doesn't know, or if he even understands what he's saying. But um, Joe Biden is canceled for that lazy and ridiculous bit of pandering. And uh, we'll throw in feminists are canceled too, just, just because. We'll cancel them again 
Uh, but that, that goes without saying during every cancellation. The feminists are canceled as well. Um, and so there it is. Sorry about that, Joe. We'll leave it there. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there.